Today we're going into the book of Judges. We're continuing on our Blinded by Fear series. Or Blinded series, actually, is what you call it. It's where we're doing deeper dives into God's holy word. It says, in verse 11, The angel of the Lord came and sat down out of the oak under Ophrah, and belong, that belonged to Joash, the Eberazerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, The Lord did not bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us over to hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength, you have saved Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Marasa, and I am the least of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. May God bless the reading of his word to us today. Now, Gideon was hiding in a wine press due to fear. Yet God called him to be a mighty man of valor. What can this teach us sitting here today about dealing with our fears? Gideon started his career as somewhat of a coward, which is in Judges chapter 6. Then he became a conquering hero, that's Judges 7 and 8. And then he ended up his career as a compromiser in Judges 8, 22 through 35. More space is devoted to Gideon in the book of Judges, that's 100 verses devoted to him, than any other judge in all of Israel. And Gideon is the only judge whose personal struggles with his faith are recorded in the book of Judges. Gideon is a great encouragement to people who have hard time accepting themselves. Let me repeat that. Gideon is a great encouragement to people who have a hard time accepting themselves and believing that God can make anything out of them or do anything with them. We've been talking about blind spots and talking, taking passages of scripture and digging deeper into them for the last few weeks. What immediately comes to mind when we hear of blind spots? Driving, right? At least for me, driving comes to my mind, blind spots. One of the first things you're taught is to scan the horizon and check your mirrors for all that stuff around you. Any of you do that very often? Even be, now, 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 even with that, before you change lanes, you need to turn your head and to check to see if you have a blind spot. Any of you got a blind spot in your car where a car could be, right? You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to. 
See, that area of the car, there may be somebody hiding there, and you run into them if you don't. Somebody almost ran into me the other day, didn't check their blind spots. Now, we seem to have emotional blind spots in our lives. Areas we overlook, try to hide, or maybe try to bury so deep that we're not aware of them. We need to look over our shoulders and check what we may have missed and work on those emotional blind spots. Today we're going to talk about fear. That's a tough word, but today we're going to go to the word fear. I've consulted my very own sermon illustration experts. At least that's how the guys at McDonald's kind of call themselves, right? <laughs> they, they always have sermon illustrations. I, if you're not aware of this, I go to coffee at McDonald's in the morning and they all have opinions. And not all of them are church people. See, I've asked, I asked them what fears they might have. And it's quite interesting. Some of them expressed concerns over the political climate. Some of them included fears like God, death, being left out of the second coming. They expressed concern about what will be left for their grandchildren even. They're bothered by the constant barrage of bad news in the media. Others have expressed fear of financial struggles. Marital conflicts, medical diagnosis, keeping up with the expectations and the hustle and bustle of life. Or even failure. Someone was even telling me about the fear they have of receiving a call that their child has been involved in a car accident. That's from the McDonald's experts. If we're not careful, these fears can overwhelm us and control our life choices. They become the first thing on our mind when we wake up and the last thing on our thoughts when we go to sleep. And that's actually where we find Israel in our text at this moment in Judges. They've abandoned God for false idols. And God gave them over to the Mennonites for seven years. Actually, right now in the book of Judges, it mirrors our country just perfectly. They, they abandoned God and gave them over to troubles. And that is when an angel of the Lord took a seat under an oak tree. You know, the, if you have a King James Bible, it says a tear root the butt by tree, but it's actually an oak tree. That's the correct translation. In the land of Joash, the Abednite, who happened to be Gideon's father. Nearby Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. A very odd place to be doing this work. You see, back then, they threshed wheat by hand. And they would gather up the wheat stalks 
on a blanket and tossed them in the air. And the wind would catch the chaff, which is the not the seeds, and it would blow it away and the grain would fall to the ground on the blanket. Now this is a wine press from the Holy Land. And you'll notice there was walls going up high. It would all have been enclosed. It would have had a roof over its head. The top would have been where they put the grapes. It goes down and this hole here would be where the wine was till they took it out. There was no wind there. There was no way for it to do it. That's where he was. He was hiding in a building, a wine press, threshing his wheat. It's typically a pit. There would have been little or no wind to blow the shaft away. And I, now I've always preferred to work smarter, not harder. So choosing a wine press does not make much sense. Gideon, however, was operating out of fear. He had been oppressed for seven years, and it being harvest time, the Midian, Midian would soon be coming to reap the benefits of Israel's hard work. Gideon was hoping to thresh his wheat without being spotted in a building, right, preserving some of the food for his family. Now, not many of us have lived through oppression and it may be hard for us to imagine what it would be like to have to fear someone taking away our basic needs. Allow me to share with you a modern day movie that children sitting here today should know. Since this is Communion Sunday, I knew the kids weren't going to children's church. See, now, if you're a visitor, they always go to children's church normally, and they get a message just designed for them. But i got to include them. So, kids, this is for you. There's an animated movie called Bugs Life. How many of you kids have seen it? Okay. How many of you adults and grandparents have seen it a hundred times? Okay. Now, you've all seen it one time or the other. And it's a... Actually, a movie that we might draw a picture for us here today. In the beginning, the ants were gathering seeds to store for the winter. However, the grasshoppers were oppressing the ants and required them to prepare an offering of food before they gather their own food. The queen ant, that's her little crown there, told a well-meaning ant named Flick. Am I right, kids? Flick. Right? It's the same every year. They come, they eat, they leave. That's our lot in life. It's not a a lot, but it's our life. Moments later, the ant siren sounded in the movie. And the grasshopper meant the grasshoppers were on their way and to scramble to hide in the anthill and the grasshoppers were going to collect their food. In the scramble, Flick... The ant that you see up there, right? He was, you know, he knocks the entire food collection into the river and it's washed away. Now, all the kids are going to like this guy. This is Hopper, right? Hopper, the leader of the grasshoppers, was irritated and confronted the ants in their home. And most of the ants didn't realize that the food was actually even gone. And the princess was trying to reassure Hopper that they'd done their part. And now they needed to collect food for their own colony. Harper informed them, that the, the grasshopper, right? Princess, 
It's a buggy bug world. Now let me tell you how things are supposed to work. The sun grows the food, the ants get the food, the grasshoppers eat the food. Then he graciously gives the ants one more chance to gather food for the grasshoppers before the rainy season begins because the ants didn't realize. See, the ants did not realize they their strength they had in their numbers and they were living in fear. So kids, y'all got that picture? Am I doing okay? The adults kind of figured out what I'm trying to say too. Okay. That's how... Gideon and all the people of Israel have been living for seven years. Just like this movie. They had turned to false idols. Matches our time today now, doesn't it? They had forgotten that God was their source of strength and they lived in fear of the Miniite opposition or oppression, whatever word you wish to throw there. It is in that circumstance that the angel of the Lord reveals himself to Gideon. Judges 6.12 tells us, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I truly am amazed how God views people. Time after time, he has demonstrated that while man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Noah was a drunk. God saw a man who could keep the world afloat. Abraham was an old man and a barren wife, and God saw the father of the nation. Moses had a speech impediment, and God saw a deliverer of the people. David was a murderous adulterer, and God saw a man after his own heart. Gideon was living in fear, and God saw a mighty man of valor. He just didn't look at what they'd done, he looked at what they could be. How reassuring is that? The angel reassures Gideon that God is with him, but Gideon is not buying it. So, let me take you to verse 13. He says, pardon me, my Lord Gideon replied, but the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us over to the hand of Midian. Gideon is caught up in his circumstances. He looks around at the wheat in his wine press And he can't see it. Look around you. What do you see? Where we are or where are we going to be? He said, I've heard all the wondrous stories of what God has done to save his people. But look, where, he ha- where has he gone? We actually see this play out throughout the book of Judges. Israel seems to be caught in this cycle. They get caught up in sin and pursue false gods. God sends 
an oppressor until the people repent. Then he sends a judge to deliver his people and they find them in time and a time of peace until they pursue false gods again. Kind of like how our nation, good, bad, good, bad, we go through this cycle. The angel continues as if Gideon, Gideon has said nothing. I love the angel. He, it's like, what you said don't even matter, right? So he's going to continue. Let me read you verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength. You have... Think, go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in this might of yours. Save Israel. Am I not sending you? I can't picture the look on this angel's face. Do you not hear the words coming out of my mouth? I am with you. I am God. I am telling you to go and battle and save your nation. And then beginning, Gideon actually begins to sound a little bit like Moses, making excuses. Right? So I'm going to read verse 15. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manchester, and I am the least in my family. Who am I that you would send me? I am the least of a small family. Out of the smallest clan of the tribe. Actually, if you want to know the truth, they were a half-tribe. If you want to be technical about it. Man said, said, uh, Gideon was still caught up in seeing only what was in front of him. Surely there's someone better suited for the job. A military leader with plenty of experience. Who knows how to plan battle strategy. God's answer is simple. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. I will be with you. You see... I be- this is my belief. I believe that God chose Gideon to command the Israelite army because choosing such a small man, when a vic- the victory happens, the people of Israel would recognize how big their God is. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Gideon, he's looking at the angel, he's seeing this. Gideon continues to put forth test to be reassured that this plan was really of God. He and, and I love God. He doesn't get after him. They test him, but I would have zapped him, but that's okay. We serve a wonderful God. He brings forth food and the angel had him set it out like an offering and the angel consumes the food with fire and advantages. Gideon puts out a fleece and asks God to cause the morning dew to make the fleece wet and the ground dry and God does exactly that. And so Gideon sets out the fleece again and asks God to do the exact opposite and God does exactly that. 
Gideon gathers the troops of Israel. Over 32,000 men. And God tells him that's too many. Send home any soldier who are the slightest twinge of fear. So only 10,000 men. So 22,000 men disappear. Only 10,000 men remain. But God told Gideon, that's still too many. Send the men to the water for water, the water break. And, and then he told Gideon, send home any man who stuck his head down in the water and only keep the men who scoop up the water and lap it with their hands. A whopping 300 are left. Now, let's show you some pictures. This is the pool of Gideon. It actually comes out of the rock here when I went to Israel. This is, well, let's go to the next picture. You'll get a better stream. This is a stream that flows out of that pool. So they, when they, 300 men, all the men came down there and lapped, they would have been sticking their head. Now, bear with me. You're in a battlefield. The Midianites are coming around. And you go put your whole head under the water. You're not paying attention to it. Now, I'm not going to lay down on the floor and put my head in the water. But what they would do is, if you got down on the water on your knees, you'd put your hand down and lap the water up so you'd be drinking. But you'd be scanning around you to see what's happening. Let's hit the next picture. This here is actually... There's several caves here that gave the pool and it comes out in a stream. And this is the Pool of Gideon. Just a bit of trivia for you. Thought I'd show it to you. But this is a constant water source. And the Gideon army knew that the Mennonites would have known the water was there. And they're traveling through the desert too. So they, the ones who lapped were being prepared for the battle, whatever it came. God chose those 300 men. Following God's strategy, God led this army of 300 men to victory over the Midianite army of 135,000. 300 men defeated 135,000. And it's not just recorded in the Bible here. It's also recorded in the annals of Midian. So you can read about it. In fact, this man who was found hiding in a wine press because of fear is later listed in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews as a, in the Hall of Faith. Now, if you've been through with, with me in the series, every one of these judges, every one of these people we've been going through are listed once again in Hebrews chapter 11. So, let me read to you verses 32 on. This is Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith of the Bible. And what more shall I say? I do not have the time, time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jethiah, or David, or Sam, or the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, admonished justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fiery flame, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies." Right now, you might be thinking, that's great for Gideon. It worked out really well for him, but what about me? I've been going through various struggles. I met with failures. I prayed for healing. Poured out, I, I poured into my marriage, and I'm done trying. Just leave me alone in my wine press. In fact, I recently had a similar discussion with a man named Mike. I've given him a few rides so I could get him locked into the homeless shelter this week. It was kind of challenging. 
One of those mornings, he made the comment, I'm amazed how many people believe in God without ever actually seeing him. And I brought up how someone asked him how he could know God when we haven't seen him. It is a long conversation, right? And I shared with him about doubting Thomas. How when Jesus first appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there with them, and he refused to believe that Jesus was alive unless he had saw and touched the wounds himself. When Jesus appeared again, Thomas was there and declares his worship. Jesus told him, believing because he saw, blessed are those who believed without seeing. That's us. In addition, God gave us the Bible so we can know him without having to see him. There's a song on the radio. It came out October 22nd. I looked it up for this sermon, right? And I've been really enjoying it. And if you haven't ever looked, it's How Can You Not by Leah Crawford. At the end of the song, there's a choir response. I like it because it had a choir, right? And she would sing a question, Oh, how can you not see God? Then this choir would respond, Everything is evidence. And then she would sing, In every little thing, every little moment, then the choir sings, Showing me that you exist. How can you not feel loved? All creation sings, is what the choir said. How can you not? How can you not? And then it sings hallelujah. Because in the middle of everything, there's evidence. Every little thing, every little moment, showing me that you exist. You might want to check out the song. It's a wonderful song. How can you not see God? All creation sings it. Now this, it worked out for Gideon. But what about us? Think about that. What about us? We're faced with fear. How should Christians respond? Let me begin by saying that having to deal with fear in itself, it's not a sin. But our response might be. Do, do we allow it to consume us or do we use our fear as a harness to draw our close, closer to God? Think of it this way. Which would be the greater definition of failure? First, to step out in faith and having things play out, not play out as you hope for. Or second, to miss the opportunity to step out into a deeper union with God due to your fear. I believe David gave us an excellent answer, an excellent tool for our dealing with our fear. It's called the 23rd Psalm. You all know it. But it's an excellent tool for dealing with fear. Now the first verse is 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. He makes me lay down a green pastures, leading beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the path for his namesake. The first step is to recognize God's presence. He cares for us like a shepherd. Frankly, sheep are rather dumb animals. And they need a shepherd to be there with them. 
That's why David mentions that God makes them lay down in pastures. He keeps them by side still waters. He leads them in paths of righteousness. Then in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The second step is to depend on God's provision. Even when he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't have it to fear evil. Why? Because God's rod and staff were with him. He knew God was protecting him. Then in 5 and 6, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Third step is to enter into God's grace and his peace. David said that God prepares a table for us in the presence of his enemies. Can you imagine feeling secure enough to sit in front of your enemies and eat? You know that person at work that drives you crazy? That family member? Hmm. Even better, goodness and mercy will follow us. The best line is, though, the, be- the best line is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't have to fear because we know the end of the story. Are you ready to set aside your fears and step forward in faith? You need to continue to put your trust in God. Now, I came across this story. I, we're getting close to the end, so i got to tell you my ending story. This is a cute story. It's actually kind of true. See, this lady was invited out for a weekend getaway with her husband's boss, and they went to a, this luxurious, luxurious weekend resort. And they went in, they're walking into a five-star restaurant, and she noticed the boss stop and pick up a penny from the sidewalk and look at it for a minute. Then he put it in his pocket. And the man was well off. And she's like, why he, he of all people, would pick up a penny? And this thought bugged her all during dinner. She was just, she couldn't concentrate on dinner. She's eating a five-star meal and she's only thinking about a penny, right? And she could no longer control herself. But And while eating dessert, she asked the boss, you're obviously very well off, man, who can afford to find a thing's life, but I noticed you stopped up and picked up this penny while you're walking. Why? The boss smiled and handed her the penny. What does the penny say in the United States of America? No, no, no. Further up, go, go. It says, well, 1985. Well, look to, look... Look at the top. In God we trust. Exactly so. And every time I see a penny, I stop and pick it up, and I take a minute to pause and to think, am I trusting God? And then I say a short prayer, asking God to help me trust Him more. It's an excellent reminder that I believe in a God who's left on my path these little reminders. Penny's actually still saying, God, we trust on him. How about you? Where do you put your trust? Is your trust in God? Maybe today 
You can pray the same type of prayers that man prayed, that the boss prayed, and ask God to help you trust him more. Maybe today you realize you're not putting your trust in God all the time, and that's we'd like to offer you some time to think about this. See, today is communion. Today is the time to remember the cost of our salvation, the cost of our goodness. It changes everything. Now, how many of you noticed that a few of the potholes in the road construction are starting to disappear? How many of you need to have front-end alignments on your vehicles after all the road construction? I hit this one pothole and I thought it was going to break my car. Well, life is that way. There are potholes and ruts in the road and I'm sorry, but things don't always go the way you plan it. But God will get us through this. There are family members that need prayer. There's healing that needs to be done. God will get us through this. We cannot live in fear of whatever you want to put in front of fear. God is on the throne because he's on the throne. You don't have to have fear. I'm not saying to be dumb, not to prepare, but there's a difference between preparing and fearing. Am I making sense? God's on the throne. Things may fall apart. You get to go home. That's the worst they can do. You get to spend eternity with heaven. Yes, you got an extra ache or pain or how many of your hips are messing up a little bit? How many of your backs are hurting, right? Any of you creaked out of bed this morning? Guess what? It's going to get worse. God's on the throne. And when you get the new body, you won't have any of that. Fear cannot rule your life. You have to learn to leave fear at God's feet and be smart enough not to pick it up again. That's the hardest thing for us to do. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Fathers, we looked at Gideon, a man who is hiding. You turned him into a mighty warrior. He argued with you. He challenged you. He he did not think himself worthy. You chose him. You do not choose the strong things of the world. You choose the weak to show your strength. You are the Lion of Judah. The Lamb of God. Today we remember that and thank you for your blessing. All God's people said, Amen.